Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure. This is failure guy Ben Courier here with uh, Caitlin Donovan. Hey there, Caitlin. How's it going? Hey, Ben. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here too. Um, curious, when you first heard about the show or when you first found it, what was the uh, what was the thought process? Did you think it was something that was going to be scary or something that you're really comfortable with? I wrote an entire book about my failures, so I was like, yes, let's dig in. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I started. I was going to write a book and then I was like, I haven't failed enough or I don't know enough. So I figured I'd interview people uh, to see what they uh, dealt with. But before we get into any of the failure stuff, let's uh, let's talk about some of the good things. What have you done? What's the uh, things you're proud of before we uh, talk about maybe the, the, the lesser proud moments? I have my own podcast called Fried the Burnout Podcast. And just this morning, we passed 50,000 downloads. So wow, nice. That was called? fun. Can you say the name one more time? Fried the Burnout podcast. Fried the Burnout. Nice. And yeah. how long have you been doing that? Just short of two years. Very cool. Yeah, I yeah. think I'm about at 1,000 downloads. So it's still amazing. You have to count every thousand along the way. You have to really celebrate them because you never know when the next bump is going to happen. It's, it's an exciting journey. It's really cool. Yeah. So what's the uh, podcast mostly about? I imagine it's about burnout and stress and all that stuff. Exactly. And that was, um, you know, sort of part of my biggest failure, too. I had a massive burnout. I don't blame myself for it. So I don't really consider it a failure. But I did write a book about it. My book is behind me on the shelf. People that are listening can't see it, but it has a very bright pink cover and it is called the bounce back ability factor. Um, so most of the stuff that I work on is around burnout. And that's what I coach people on. That's what I do corporate events on. That's what I do everywhere. Cool. And how would you define burnout? Because I'm sure people have different uh, definitions in their mind. What's your way of thinking about it? There is a very pretty clear definition of burnout that's been defined by researchers. And the research says very clearly that burnout is a combination of three factors. The first is physical and emotional exhaustion. The second is cynicism, basically being a negative Nancy. And the third is feeling like your work is not impactful no matter what you do, it doesn't matter if you are a cardiac surgeon or, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter what you do. You just, you don't really feel the impact of your work. Interesting. And so would you say your uh, experience with that was uh, the trifecta um, when it occurred? The trifecta is what's necessary to label, label a burnout. So if you still think you're making progress, you're not burned out yet. Right. Is that what you're saying? Or yes. any of those things that they're not. Yes. Yes. <laughs> present. Okay. So I guess your thing is more about when that does happen, regardless of how you got there, how do you come back from it? Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you know how you get there, there's research on it, but I, I sort of agree and disagree with some of it because of my own experience. Most of the research is based on corporations and hospital settings. I burnt out as an entrepreneur. They were like, it's your boss's fault. It's the building's fault. It's the company's fault. And I was like, I am the boss and the building and the company. So, uh, so what do you think it was with your uh, specific scenario? Or you want to walk us through, uh, you know, what led you to that burnout stage? For me, 
if you want to just go straight to the depths of it and skip all of the behavior parts of it and really go down deep, like immediately, well, what, it was a la lack of self-worth. Oh, lack of, that's a classic one. But what mm -hmm. was the business? You were trying to entrepreneur yourself oh. into what? I, I wasn't trying to entrepreneur myself. I was extremely <laughs> successful. <laughs> I like that I use that as a verb, um, but uh, yes. so successful. And yes. And out. yes, most of the people that I work with are other entrepreneurs who have built businesses that they always thought they wanted. So I'm an acupuncturist by degree. My master's degree is in Chinese medicine. I built an acupuncture practice in Warsaw, Poland, where I was living at the time. I had a three month waiting list. I was making all the money. I was treating the top of the top in the country and I was hating it. I was hating them. I was hating them for needing me. I, and I was also wanting them to need me more at the same time. Right. Because I needed to be important to them because I didn't have my sense of value. So this happens a lot in entrepreneurship where you sort of build your own golden cage. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, um, I hate this cage. <laughs> and everybody's like, but you have the key. And you're like, swallowed it. <laughs> so what do you think it was that made it? So you, you just you thought you wanted to be an acupuncturist or at least that specific variety of it. And what what about your plan was was faulty? So I'm still an acupuncturist. I have a practice in New York City. I work two days a week as an acupuncturist and the rest of the time I spend doing all of the other lovely things that I do. And for me, one of the things that I realized during my healing process was that I'm not really good at following traditional working roles. I don't ever want to do the same thing five days a week. Mm. That's never going to work for me. And I used to get really upset with my father, who's also an entrepreneur, who was like sometimes making money, oftentimes not, mm -hmm. and putting us in a lot of sort of financial lack of stability. Yeah. You know, and so I always was kind of like, why couldn't he just like put his head down and make it happen and just do it? And now I get it. Like, I, I it's not good for me to do the same thing every day. I don't thrive that way. My energy does not like that. It's just it's it's a crap situation for me to be doing the same thing every day. What what, what was your dad's business? My dad sold bought and sold used cars for a long time. Mm, the classic salesman mm -hmm. want to be like kind of role mm -hmm. uh so that must have been interesting so how would did you get to see him do a lot of his salesmaning yeah well and i was responsible for most of his book bookkeeping and filing from the time i was eight or nine so i was in entrepreneur mode my whole life i always knew that i would work for myself i always knew that was part of it but I, I found this passion. I love acupuncture and Chinese medicine wholeheartedly. I was really successful at it. I love the theory of it. I love the other people that practice. I love the community of it. There's so many great things about it. Mm -hmm. And so I was really confused when I burnt out because I was like, wait a second. First of all, when you finish acupuncture school, you are a stress management expert automatically because <laughs> Chinese medicine studies the way different stressors affect health. It's the baseline of Chinese medicine is how is your everyday health affected by everyday stuff? Uh -huh. And so I was totally dumbfounded finding myself in this place where I was like, I thought I followed my heart and did all the right things. Mm -hmm. And why was I mad? Why was I hating it? Why? And it wasn't about the acupuncture was the thing, you know, it wasn't, it was about the fact that I had really crappy boundaries because mm -hmm. I thought that if I didn't give 150% all the time that I was not worth the money that I was charging. 
I thought that I had to be everything to every patient. So when I first started my, um, my career, I worked in another, like in a doctor's office, one of the biggest fertility offices in the country. And I was the first acupuncturist to work in a fertility office in Poland. So I started kind of a whole big, so it was like a, a, a very big deal. And I worked there for three or four years before I built up some clientele and opened my own office. And so I was mainly helping people have babies, which mm -hmm. you would think would be fairly important. This is a big deal in people's lives. And when they're spending a lot of time and energy trying to make it happen when they struggle. And I wanted to be able to be the thing that brought them over the edge every time. And like, sometimes it's IVF and sometimes they end up getting pregnant naturally. And sometimes it's because, and, but I didn't want them to need anybody else because I, I needed to be important enough to feel valuable. Yeah. So I was chasing that like constant overgiving, wanting more for them than they wanted for themselves, you know, kind of pushing this, like, I can do it yeah, instead but, of realizing that I was part of a team and I only needed to do my bit. I didn't need to be responsible for all, all the bits. Yeah. Plus it sounds like you're hanging all your happiness on their reaction to yeah. you. Yeah. Which sucks because you can't control Awful. <laughs> exactly. And especially when they're on hormones. Yeah. And the stressful baby, baby. Stuff <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, well, so I, I identify with a lot of that because I do financial planning and analysis, but right mm -hmm. now I have negative money in my bank account. So right. why can't I do what I can do for a company, but not for myself? There's a lot of those weird things where I, I'm in the same boat where I love the, the puzzle solving of making a financial model, but I don't love the monotony of every month. There's new financial money coming in, you know, like whatever new actuals to update. That's when I'm just checked out because yeah. it's the same thing over and over. Like you're saying, yeah, I need new challenges, new things. Some people like the do the same thing all the time. Do, certainly not me. When I picked accounting, I didn't really know what it was. So <laughs> regret, regret that decision a little bit, but did you, what, what, um, what introduced you to acupuncture? What introduced you to Chinese medicine? <laughs> so I started, like I said, I went to school. I went to BU. I had planned since I was three years old to be a doctor. I told my grandmother when I was three, I'm going to be a doctor. I got oh. a full academic scholarship on a pre-med track. How'd you so, know at three? What what was the basis? Who knows? I was three. I probably yeah. just thought it would Some be impressive show? at the time. <laughs> yeah, like who knows? And but I followed it. Uh -huh. And I, you know, I got to BU and I was on this scholarship and I was my major was biology and my minor was Eastern religion, but it was biology on a pre-med track. So there were specific courses that I was taking to prep me for medical school. And I, my first you were semester, this whole time, this whole time you're like, yeah, this is awesome. Yes. Cool. Until <laughs> I took organic chemistry. Oh, I love chemistry. Organic chemistry. I know. Not I the same. But my point is I don't like biology that much. I think it's just who I had for teachers. It probably okay, fair. The subject. <laughs> but, but chemistry and organic chemistry are two completely different beasts. I <laughs> did um, college level chemistry in high school and aced it. Sure, yeah. Organic chemistry, organic chemistry. My first test in college, I got a four. I got two points for my first name and two points for my yeah. last name. Just <laughs> a bunch of C six H twelve N something, right? It's all O's and C's, right? When it's organic, <laughs> I just could not comprehend it, and I had never encountered that before in my life. Mm -hmm. 
I went to a pretty big high school. There were 600 of us. I graduated 12th. I was always kind of the smart kid. And then I went to college and I wasn't the smart kid anymore. There was a lot was it, of kids that were much smarter than me, you know? Was it just that it wasn't instantaneous like everything else? So you just assumed? That's what I tell myself today. Uh -huh. Like if I really sat down and like dug into it, I could figure it out. But I don't know if that's actually true. That's kind of what I went with math. I was like, I'm the math man. And then calculus two or whatever. I was like, what is going on? I have no <laughs> idea what's happening anymore. Yeah. But I just kind of stopped trying because it wasn't fun yeah. or as easy. Uh, it's what I, that's the story I tell myself, but I don't know if that's actually true. So when that happened, I started to rethink the whole plan. And mm -hmm. then I took another class called the sociology of medical school. And it was basically, we had to read a book of this guy's journey through medical school and how awful it was and how much in debt you were going to be and how tired you were going to be and how awful it was going to be. And I was like, I can't pass organic chemistry. This guy's telling me that it's going to be miserable. I don't want anything to do with this. This was the first time in my life ever that I felt like I was going to be failing and letting people down. My plan had always been so clear. Yeah. I mean, when I got fired from my first job, I definitely was feeling the same thing. Like, what happened here? I was supposed to be the cool, the like, the one who had it all figured out. Yeah. At least out of my family and out of the friend group and all that stuff. Um, yeah. But how did you, how did you deal with with some of those feelings? Well, I tried to figure out what was going to happen next, right? So I went to, like I said, my minor at the time was Eastern religion, and I was taking a master's level course in meditation as one of my, as some of my credits, which was really cool. And the teacher was this incredible woman. Her name is Livia Cohn and she's the world's foremost scholar of Taoism. Okay, cool. She, she's a really interesting lady. And I went into her office hours one day and I said, Livia, I am not going to become a doctor and I don't have any other plan. Like I got nothing. Three-year-old me is pissed. Yeah. I had these expectations that I set up for myself that I gave everybody else in my life. And now that's not happening. And she said, well, do Chinese medicine. I said, what the F is that? No idea. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got some books from my roommate at the time for Christmas. I started reading about it. And I, I was like a religious convert. I was a total neophyte. I was like, oh my God, this makes the whole world make more sense. Yeah. And talking about, yeah. It's a way in, it's a way out. And very important to me at the time, and still, if I'm honest, fairly important to me, it was not a study massage therapy for three months and then start healing people. It was a four year master's program. A and I was like, mind. a legitimate, I finished with a master's of science in Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. That's, that means something. Yeah, not mo most people don't know what it means, but it does mean something. <laughs> But at least it's the master's yes, degree. Yes, for sure. Yeah, like, I, mean, I knew that. What? So what is, uh, besides acupuncture, what would be involved in getting that master's degree? You the said master's degree. I imagine yeah. part of it. Yeah, it's three, uh, it's three main portions. It's acupuncture, herbology, and Western medicine. So we still do quite a bit of Western medicine because you have to know red flags when you need to send patients to a hospital, kind of things like that. Mm -hmm. And you need to know enough about anatomy and physiology just to be able to explain things to people in a language that they'll understand. Um, and then there was acupuncture and herbs. We had to do at least 375 pestle thing or whatever it's called <laughs> we used machines but yes oh, cool. um 
You had to be, we, we had to do at least 375 patient appointments before we were allowed to sit for boards for our national board exams. So we had to see it's like more than one per day of the year. Yeah. So we do it for, um, for, I think, God, I don't even remember. It might've been eight semesters. No, that can't be right. I don't remember, but it was a lot of clinic but the, time. The 375 is spread out over at least a few years. Yeah, exactly. So we did a, a ton of one-on-one -on -one patient time, obviously with supervisors, you know, mm -hmm. that's part of the, the, the thing. And then you have to sit for national boards and you have to take this crazy exam that allows you to then apply to be licensed in individual states. So along the failure lines, what was your worst of the 375? Is there one that stands out as being particularly bad? I don't, honestly, as far as acupuncture is concerned, I have some people that didn't make progress because mm. that happens if, if you're a surgeon, there's always sure. going to be people that don't make progress. doesn't matter what medicine you use. Um, I don't have anything in particular that sticks out as like, this was a disaster. It doesn't have to be malpractice. Could be just an embarrassing situation. You don't know you stuck it in the no. wrong place. <laughs> I don't know. I have no not idea. really. No, not not with acupuncture. I was pretty I, I am. I should say I'm still practicing. I'm I'm pretty solid with acupuncture. Not, I mean, yeah, I've caused bruises. Sure. You know, that's happened. But that like I don't how I haven't done anything really. That's very out. Uh, that's outside of the norms. How is navigating the, the politics of being in the medical field? Because I know corporate politics sucks. Is it similarly uh, difficult? Uh, when you're not in the in the acupuncture room, we don't have the the politics in the acupuncture world are a little bit different. I mean, there's some things I and you have to remember I was outside of the states for the majority of oh, my yeah. so traditional my medicine you see a lot of that probably, but yeah, it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't have to deal with the the local like the United States type of politics, fight lobbying and things like yeah. that because I was not I wasn't in the country for and over a decade. So I, I've done finance on the healthcare side and it's insane because you can build companies and you don't know what they're going to pay you. They can pay you 0%, 100%, 50%. Yeah, this is a huge issue. Yeah. So I don't it. take insurance as an acupuncturist in New York City because I, I think that in order to get the money that we deserve for our treatments, mm -hmm. you would basically have to be committing insurance fraud. Yeah, you have to say crazy. you have to say that every patient is a neck pain or a low back pain patient, and you have to say that they you're doing because right <laughs> yeah. And I I refuse to I refuse to do that. I, I don't I I can't do that for my own integrity. Yeah, you know I just I refuse to be a part of all of that. So I charge cash and it yeah. is what it is. No, I totally get it because I was supposed to predict how much money we're going to make, and I I could know yeah. exactly what we build, and we still have no idea what we're going to get for money. Yeah, it's, it's wild, isn't it? Crazy. It's crazy. Meaning there's no other business that I was in. I've been in like six or seven different industries. There's no yeah. business where you don't know, have any idea when you know what you build, <laughs> what you're going to get back. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I totally get why you would try to steer clear of that because it seems like it's a, not a great thing. So we talked about in the virtual green room or whatever that you were both from Massachusetts. Yeah. What was it like going to Warsaw being from Massachusetts? So I was in California before I went there and I had taken a trip to Argentina for a few months. Um, oh, so you had a little bit of time outside of Massachusetts to decompress. I had a, yes, I had quite that. a bit of time. East Coast. Outside. Yes. Coldness. 
Yeah. So I was five years in California. So I learned uh, to chill quite a bit <laughs> before I left, which turned out to not be the best thing before moving to Warsaw because they're even more aggressive than us. Yeah. You should have so, the Boston part probably. Yes. So city. I had to like, you know, reinstate my Bostonness in order to survive. And that was also part of my burnout. Like I always thought that being aggressive meant that I had good boundaries, mm. but those two are not related. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Cause I, my thing with the Boston thing is like uh, the closer people are to me, the more of an ass I am to them. Like the, the less I pretend to care what people think or whatever. <laughs> And I just, they get the worst version of me. So I don't know what we're doing over there, but we're not doing it right. But you're saying it's even a little bit more intense, especially yeah. when you're a foreigner probably and yeah. trying to deal with language problems and all sorts of other things. Yeah, it was, there's a lot more, um, there's still some leftover practices and habits from communist times in Poland. Okay. So, you know, the wall fell in 89, so we're not, this was not that long ago, really. They've only had, you know, 30 years of capitalism. Like we're, this is not uh, an insane amount of time. Mm -hmm. So there's still things left over. Like you couldn't, in order to, if you needed uh, sugar, you know, you'd get a ticket and you'd go to the store and maybe you'd get sugar that day and maybe you'd get a pair of shoes. You got what they were giving out. So Good you would boy. have to take whatever, they were giving you and trade it with people that needed it to get what you need. So there's, there's constantly this like act of finagling just to be clear. Yeah. You get like a raffle ticket that doesn't say sugar on it. It just says item. Basically. Item. Yeah. And then you go get an item and then you sometimes there was sugar in the store and you could line up. And oh, sometimes so there were okay. tickets for items there. It was, it was, uh, it varied depending, depending on. on yeah. Okay. Depending, but sometimes you'd go in because you needed shoes and you'd say, I'm a size six and they'd give you a size nine because that's what was available. Sure. Like you, you didn't have a lot of control over what you got. So you had to barter and trade and help each other out. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of expectation that your the way that you give is negotiable. Mm -hmm. So okay. I had, I had a three month waiting list because I had patients up to my you know, forehead. I was extremely busy. I was working a ton of hours. I was treating 60 to 80 people a week by myself. Stressed, waiting for you to de-stress them. So they're getting more stressed. Waiting. And I have people calling me almost every day telling me that they need to see me now. And I'm saying, I'm really sorry, but there's a wait list. And there, I have people, new patients scheduled out three months in advance. So I can schedule you out for four months from now, or I can recommend you to a colleague. And they'd say, no, I need to see you. And I'd say, well, I can schedule you four months out from now. And they say, well, why don't you try and look at your schedule and find something tomorrow? And I'd say, well, I, I don't have any time tomorrow. I'm going to haggle you. Yeah. What can we, what can we finagle here is mm -hmm. always the, the underlying question there, None. which I don't blame them for. It's just that it was really hard for me to constantly have to put up a boundary yeah. in order to not kill myself because I was burning out and I was tired and I was overworked and people didn't care and they shouldn't. They're customers. It's not their job to care about me. So then what, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? What happened? Uh, I gained a bunch of weight, stopped exercising, and got diagnosed with a thyroid disorder. So does the thyroid disorder come about from that behavior, or does it come up, was it going to happen anyways? I don't know. Chicken, egg, egg, chicken. 
Okay. Interesting. Um, and so then you decided, okay, I imagine you took a break or something. I said, I can't do this anymore. And I think one of the reasons that I'm not flourishing is because I don't fit in with this country. Mm. I don't think this country is bad. I'm not angry with it. We just don't mesh well. Yeah. And so this isn't working. So I looked at my husband and I said, and you're angry all the time. And I am overwhelmed all the time. I can't do this anymore. We have to leave. And at that time, he, his uh, boss happened to be moved to Prague in the Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. And within three months, he had a job offer. And his boss said, well, if you want to come to Prague, come on. And I was thinking to myself, okay, great. Eastern Europe to Eastern Europe. But yeah. Prague is a completely different energy than Warsaw. The closest I've been is Vienna. And I just, I assume Vienna and Prague are very similar. I have no idea why. Vienna is more, more German. I basically say I've been to Prague because I've been to Vienna, even though I know nope. that it's nothing. To do with it. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> uh, but that's about as close as I got. But either way, I could see why, you know, uh, based on what I've heard about Warsaw and Poland, how it would be substantially different in a more relaxed way uh, over in Prague. Right. Right. So it was much more relaxed. We had a few years there. I decompressed. I healed from burnout. I did all those kind of things. You know, I dealt, I kind of dealt with it all there. And then once we were sort of healed and not in this like energy of being frantic and angry and overwhelmed all the time, we both decided it was now time to move to the States. So now here we are. So it was another big change, but it wasn't at the fault at this point of burnout. It was We've gone as far as we can in this country. It's a small country, so there's only that far up you can go. Yeah. So we're at the we're at the top, and we are not forty. We weren't neither of us were forty at the time. Mm -hmm. We're not planning on having children, so like we still have ambition to use. We still have things we want to accomplish. So we needed to be in a place where we could take advantage of the energy that we still have to create a life that we still want. And everyone's thinking New Jersey, of course, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, I didn't do it on purpose. My <laughs> husband's job, he said, we'd like to move back to the States. Will you relocate me? And they agreed. And their office just happens to be in New Jersey. My first uh, girlfriend in college was from New Jersey, so I have a bit of experience uh, okay. going there. I liked it. I didn't have any problems with it, but people talk no, I like about, it. about it negatively. They do, funny. but I honestly, I really like Jersey. I'm, I'm pretty happy here. We are really outdoorsy people. We spend a lot of time outside, and we there's a ton of hiking. There's a lot of nature. Like There's, there's so much to do. Um, I really like being here and, and I practice in the city. So I get to go to New York city twice a week yeah, and you're close to everything. Yes. Like I was always amazed, even just Boston being like three and a half hours from New York Yeah. in Colorado. When I drive three and a half hours, I'm still in Colorado. So yeah, exactly. no matter which way I went from Denver. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and I'm only three and a half hours from my parents here. Oh yeah. And did, did you get, have this experience i i feel like everybody from back home in boston if you lived more than 30 minutes away you would never see that person it was like they were living forever away i don't know why but distances seemed like they were so much longer there whereas denver where you drive 30 minutes and you're still in denver like that was like a minimum trip well i boston, left never see each other right yeah i left really early so i didn't really have any sort of adult experience gotcha. in massachusetts i was 17 19 when i left to mm -hmm. go to California. So I think it's I probably just really the traffic that. and yeah. people not wanting to deal with the it's driving there so bad too. And so what part of California did you live in? San Diego. Nice. I was just looking to move to California, but it's so expensive that 
it's based really on negative expensive. bank account there's no real chance of that happening so it's real expensive i have no idea what what form it's going to take but i don't want to be doing the corporate finance and accounting working for someone else and watching them make terrible decisions or good decisions whatever ones i don't get to control yeah. Yeah. um and just seeing because i don't like how i would be in spreadsheets and i could pretend like I, I know the future for some reason they trust you if you can make a spreadsheet that tells you what happens in the next five years like i'm not a psychic but yeah they treat you like that but either way i couldn't do anything to to affect the numbers i could just say here's the numbers guys you are the ones it's not what we have today this is you gotta go sell the stuff you gotta go do all this stuff and i just couldn't i can't control anything so i want to be more in control of of parts of it and also i just want to take less time to do things i want more space i want to be able to chill out and think you know city stuff is, is a bit much kind of what you're saying about the bounce back thing is certainly important. So when, when did you write that book? What, what, uh, so after, after coming, I started writing the book in September, 2018. Uh, we were supposed to take a family, my husband, my sister and I were going to meet Well, my husband and I were going to meet my sister in Croatia for 10 days. Um, and then my sister last minute bought a house and she was going to be closing on the day she was supposed to fly. So that wasn't going to work. She had to cancel. My husband got a phone call saying, we need you in Sweden. Like you have to be here immediately. So he had to go to Sweden and there I was thinking, well, now I have 10 days. I can either cancel or I can go to Croatia anyway Mm -hmm. and start writing this book. That's been in the back of my mind. Like I'm a big learner. I like to read. I like to learn. I've, I've done a lot. I've been a lot of places. I speak three languages. I've I've done, I have things in here. You want to synthesize it. And I, yeah, I felt like also I needed to get some things out so that I had space for something new. Like I kind of felt like my brain was full. Honestly, that's where I'm at now. Cause I want to do basically like a, like a comedian getting rid of all of his old material. I just want to get all my good advice out there and then start right. over because yeah, I've read so many self-help books. I don't know how to help myself, but I do know enough things to tell people. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I, um, I started writing about my burnout journey. I did that for those 10 days. I wrote the first 20,000 words and then like got busy with life. And then we chose to move to the state. So I got busy with a move. We moved, we started to get settled. And then I ruptured my Achilles tendon. Mm, more time. And was, yes. Sent to bed for four months. And I thought to myself, what am I going to do to make this time productive? Because I am not going to be able to sit still for four months. I I can't. That's not who I am. And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to finish. I'll finish the book. Like, I'll, I'll finish this book. And I went to bed one night kind of like praying to the ancestors because I, I get a little weird like that sometimes. <laughs> And I was like, you guys have to tell me what else I'm supposed to do during this time. And that's how Fried the Burnout podcast started. Nice. I woke up in the morning. I just had Fried the Ultimate Guide to Burnout. Fried the Ultimate Guide to Burnout. And I couldn't get it out of my head. And I thought, okay, well then let's do this. So the podcast happened. I used those stories to help me with the book. Same. Just like you were saying. General idea, yeah. Yep. So I used those stories to help me with the book. I finished the book and released it last September. So September, 2020. Did you self-publish or did you? I did. That seems to be the thing these days or like it seems to be a common theme, at least with some of the guests. And it seems like it's something that is easier than people think. Is that correct? 
or harder? Easier, I mean, and, I har easier and harder. Um, you do, uh, well, no, I guess you can do it as hard as you want. I wanted to be <laughs> sure that it was still professional quality. So I wanted to pay somebody to do a book cover. I wanted to pay an editor and a copywriter. I wanted to pay a launch team, mm -hmm. all of those things. So I did last April, I did, uh, or March, uh, actually, it was just around the pandemic. I did a crowdfunding campaign to raise the money because I had just moved back. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a job. I was in bed. I wasn't working, you know. So yeah. I did a crowdfunding campaign to to get to gain the money to pay for all of these things. Mm -hmm. And it was successful, thankfully. So I sold the book before I finished writing it, kind yeah. of, you know. Sold people. I, I had some products that I had made. A friend of mine that's local. We, we made like a bounce back oil to go with the bounce back ability factor. We made an eye pillow for stress reduction. Like we did a whole, a whole thing. So um, the campaign ran su successfully, and that was really cool. And now I have a book. That's awesome. But you know the process. It took me two years to do the whole thing, and getting it edited is tough. And getting the book out in the first place was sort of okay. But even when I finished, I knew it wasn't in the right order, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to fix it. Like I needed other people. This, and that was, um, that was something that was kind of the first time really in my life that I couldn't do something by myself. You realize the importance of yeah teamwork and and not yes. being a solo person and i so if i wanted to just self-publish i could have put out what i created yeah. on amazon basically for free and maybe it would have sold something maybe it wouldn't have but I, you can do it yeah easily but i knew that this book had to be better than that yeah i did the dumb thing i wrote like three thousand words one night and then i paid some guy like 600 bucks to edit it because it was a ghostwriter and I was like, I don't want you to ghostwrite it. I want you to be like a zombie writer is what I called it because I want you to whatever. Who knows what I said to him. But then I couldn't even pay the guy. I was like struggling to find the money to pay him. So, yeah, yeah it's like definitely the wrong order sometimes to do things. But similar <laughs> like need for perfection or some sort of a level of quality. and Level polish. of quality. It's or not perfect. I use the word contrite instead of trite in the book. And I didn't <laughs> fix it. You know, like there's mistakes. No but... Well, maybe someone will catch it, but who cares? Yeah, somebody, somebody did catch it, which is how I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll find that out. I'm sure there's other things that you haven't been told yet either. Of course. Um, but it it's interesting because I think until, especially people who've dealt with the imposter syndrome thing, which just sounds like you've had a bit of too. Yeah. Until you can get some kind of validation from someone else who does these kind of things and say, oh, yeah, this is really good or whatever. It's hard to know if you're doing anything that's worthless or totally, you know, on point it's hard to know yeah. where you stand when you're so deep into it yeah well and it's really vulnerable to write a book and put your story in it and then have it out there for people to judge so you want it to be the quality of it to be good because that also affects the judgment of it even though yeah. if you just talk about shit about yourself and don't give them any good advice then you just and you, or you talk shit about yourself and the cover is not well designed and the typesetting is off and mm -hmm. there's pages missing because you didn't format it correctly like yeah is that the type of stuff that mostly worried you not the content but more like the all the surrounding things I knew that the words going into the book were the right words, but like I said, I wasn't sure that they were in the right order. Mm -hmm. I needed some help put creating a flow that made sense outside of my head. And I was too close to it to do that. I was reading it and I knew what I meant. 
Yeah, it's hard to know. It's hard to, to know. teach people stuff. It's I teach, really uh, hard. Microsoft Excel. Yeah. And I had to come up with this whole, I got this whole cheat code thing, like a C-O-D-E, whatever. Because mm -hmm. I realized anybody who's ever taught me anything that was mnemonics or anything, they either made it up or someone made it up at some point. So why don't I make something up? Because yeah. who cares? It I mean, makes it easier to teach and easier to learn. Figure out how to, but it's hard to know go back to before you knew something and how did you yes. get there and then how do you make it better for them to take a shorter route? Exactly. It's and how do you use your stories to help people learn Yeah. without being self-indulgent? It's a fine line. It's a fine line. Yeah. But I think we've both done similar things because I did stuff trying to talk about like you could design the spreadsheet like Boston streets or Denver streets with the grid or the other one, but you know, That's and then funny. you can always redo it uh, later, which you can't do with the Boston streets. Those are going to be <laughs> terrible forever, <laughs> or at least they're doing a bit of it, but it takes a lot longer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it is interesting to see how you can blend in some of those stories, make anything interesting. Cause Excel is so boring that people do not think it's going to be interesting at all. So like when I was doing this, hour or two hour long presentation i wouldn't even show excel it would be all just trying to be interesting and stuff yeah it's, it's a long haul trying to learn that stuff um, yeah but uh but i think it's awesome that or at least it just feels good to hear that other people do the same kind of thing and struggle with the same things yeah um i don't know if you've heard in prior episodes but you do get a get out of fail free card as being on the show so I'll pretend that this gift card, which has, I think, $7 on it, is a get out of fail free card, which means cool. you can use it similar to Monopoly. You can, instead of getting out of jail, though, you can get out of failure. So what it would be would be uh, going down a path in life that you maybe would have gone down if it wasn't for the amount of failure that likely would follow. Is there something that maybe you would use that card for? Uh, hobby, passion, a thing that seems, oh, man, I wish I could play music in front of people, but I can't or whatever it is. Um, what would, what do you think you'd use that to pursue? Mm, that's a really good question. If I couldn't fail. Yes. Or at least it, or at least it wouldn't, it wouldn't affect there is, but you wouldn't fail at it. You would have, right. You know, it would at least be net, really net zero means, to be honest. I don't, it would know. really, it would at least be net zero. Yeah, at least you would get out of it what you wanted, I think. Uh, Fair. Like if, let's say you're a comedian, you're not bombing. You know, it's not the failure. I would honestly use it for that. Stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. Now, have you ever thought about doing that before? Oh, yeah, I think about it all the time. I wrote I, I wrote a bit this morning. Oh, yeah? Do you want to give it just... No, a, absolutely oh, okay. not. Fine. You shouldn't. I agree. <laughs> I, I've never done any of my stupid little bits. <laughs> But at some point, we're going to have to do it unless we don't ever want to do that. But I do want to do that at some point. But it sounds terrible. I mean, it's just constant judgment. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. Like, all you're doing, they're like, oh, I hope you're funny. And it's like, what? Yeah. Like, got to. And then you got to get over yourself enough to do the same jokes multiple yes. times. Like, yes. I don't like the lifestyle that comes with it. You know, like I, I like being on stage. I like yeah. uh, teaching in like large scale formats in front of 300,000 people. Like I like that, but I improv is what I hear because that's the one where you don't have to feel. As right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think I could do the same show with the same jokes, even though I do teach the same material all the time. And that doesn't really bother me. Um, 
but I don't learn anything and not just a joke. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's got to be something deeper in it for me. And also I feel like I need to, like, I don't need to be doing it at eight or nine o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a sleeper. People are like, are you an early bird or, or a night owl? And I'm like, neither. I go to bed early and I sleep late. I'm a sleeper. So, yeah, so the, so the, uh, the lifestyle around the being successful at stand-up comedy is not something I, I am interested in, but if I could have that card, I would definitely get up on a stage and do a show. Yes. That sounds awesome. Well, I think you should at some point just wear a wig, say your name or something else, just do whatever to get out of your own thing and then just see what happens. Cause I imagine for open mic nights, the bar is so low for like, I've been to some really bad ones and I'm like, oh man, okay, maybe I could, but see even that, even like beating that isn't a fun look. It doesn't yeah, look like right? it's that much fun, but I mean, people, people go after that stuff and it's awesome. Makes you yes. appreciate comedians a lot more. The more you try to mentally put yourself there. Absolutely. It's a ton of work. We listen to a lot of comedian podcasts and my husband and I, so that's like hearing their background stories has really shined a pretty big light on it for me. Like things that I didn't realize before. I'd say the failure piece is probably even far more prevalent. I mean, like they have to get much more comfortable. They talk about it all the time. You have to bomb. Of course. You have to. There's no way around it. It, But you have to. Jerry Seinfeld, whoever, they bombed like You got to bomb. You just, I just try to bomb in regular life just to figure out how it feels, I guess, <laughs> because I, uh, you know, I strike out all the time with just trying to create random connections with people. And they're like, whoa, get out of here. Like too much, too soon, whatever the thing is, like you went the weird path and we're not, <laughs> we're not down with that. But that helps me figure out what is the non weird path, you know, to try to sky yeah. like skipping a lot of the no like and trusting i want to get right to the end and i always trust everyone too quickly so uh i don't know how to get get it in return kind of thing but i'm working yeah. on it okay so now uh, is there anything about your historical failure that you'd like to make sure you touch on before we get to the future here is there any I other thoughts on on like your your overall journey yeah for me like i said right in the very beginning like if we're just gonna dive right deep into it my historical failure was always around not understanding that I'm valuable just for existing Mm. was really attaching my value to my productivity in, in various ways. That's I, I mean, it kind of, it messed me up in high school. It messed me up in college. It messed me up in my career. And I didn't find it until I was 35. You know, I just, I just didn't find it, but this was the, the biggest hook for me. Every time, every time I dig, like we could, cause we could talk about the basic stories, but the stories don't even really matter because the thing that's underneath all of them is the same desire to prove my worth. Yeah. Well, my, my thing is always about expectations. And so it seems mm. like it's, it's similar. It's a mix of expectations yeah. and self-worth where it's like you have a, something in your mind of where you're going to be. And yeah. when you're not there yet, or when you're not struggling to get there, you feel like, you're yeah. nev- never going to do anything or whatever it is you're worth. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. A lot of people, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic book. I think mm-hmm. everyone should listen or read. I listen to books and then I buy the book and pretend like I read, read it, but I really listen to it usually if there's not a book. Um, but it's about two different mindsets. One's a fixed mindset yeah. where you uh, are as smart as you are and you're not really going to change that kind of thing versus a growth one. Growth. Mm-hmm. And I think most people need to read that book so that they embrace some of that growth stuff because that's probably what got me to be okay with failure enough to do a lot of this stuff. Um, I didn't even realize I was fired from all my jobs because in corporate America, they'll like, have you resign or have you whatever, <laughs> shuffle you around. You never have to face that fact because yeah. they won't tell anybody and you don't have to, you got to pretend in an interview, whatever. So it took me like five times getting fired to go, oh, I was actually fired. And then just two weeks ago, I got fired again. So six times, but now I'm done. It took me that long to go, okay, I'm done. Okay. I'm yeah. tapping out of the, at least that path. Right. And I think you had a similar thing where you were just, you have to wear out the whole, wear out your welcome in the thing that you thought it had to be. Yes. In order to go down whatever path it is. So what's, what's your next big failure? What's the thing you're going to do that you don't know how to do yet that you're looking forward to? Yeah. So the next big thing is, which is starting already, but is moving into a bigger speaking space. Oh, nice. Right. So I'm doing online events for, you know, three, 400 people, but I'm really kind of aiming for getting back to, you know, everybody being vaccinated and safe to move mm-hmm. around and all of that and getting into a room with 2000 people and, and, and doing the thing. It's great. Cause it's like stand up comedy, but the bar is so much lower because you can be funny and they don't even want, jo- they're not expecting any jokes. So right. Just a few. You can add in a couple here funny. and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can try breaks, it. it breaks up the mood, you know. It's yeah. good. Yeah. It so I think that's the, that's the next um, the next thing. What do you speak about? I imagine all the stuff and bounce back ability and all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have another book planned? Yes, I started another book um, called "Boundaries Aren't About Saying No." Oh, nice. So all about internal boundaries, what boundaries really mean, why we suck at them, why we have a hard time saying no, what that's all about, what we can do instead. Da, da, I need da, that da, book da. for sure. Cause I don't, I still don't know. Meaning I hope you figured it out. Yeah. Uh, I do a great job at it now. I mean, I suck at it sometimes, but I, I, at least I know when I'm sucking at it now. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Um, and you can identify it and hopefully share some of your tips and tricks that help you set better boundaries. Um, I Do you know. want to know the best one right now? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to drop a, a big, massive hint right now. Hit me with it. Follow the resentment. Okay. Everywhere you have resentment, there is a boundary that has been crossed. Whether that boundary is you crossing your own internal boundary from the inside or somebody crossing your boundary from the outside is yet to be determined. Uh-huh. Yeah. But if you find the resentment, you will find where the boundary has been broken. And then you can figure out which side it's on and how to mend it. So whether you're letting people go across your boundary or you're not setting a boundary well enough. Or you're overstepping, right? Yeah, this is yep. so so this is like um this is something that I really had to learn. I call this taking care of your own knot, right? Like Be in your own space. Take care of your own knot. The world is covered by a net. There's a knot above your head. When you abandon it, you make it more difficult for everyone around you. So taking care of your own knot is not selfish. It's helpful in the the long haul for everybody. So I would be on a tram in Prague. So let's picture this. I'm on a tram and the tram is kind of full and somebody gets on the tram and they sit in the seat that's reserved for old and pregnant women. Mm -hmm. And 
Then we get to the next stop and an old woman is getting on and she's got a walker. Now, my life for 30 some odd years was I'm going to be the person that's going to tell the person that's sitting in the seat to get her tush up so that the old lady can sit down. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm correct. This is righteous. This is a moral judgment on my part and I'm winning. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you're doing stuff like that, or this is the same, this is even a better example. Like in normal times, when we're walking into stores, you open the door and there's somebody that's coming in behind you, but they're like two steps too far behind you to make it natural for you to hold the door open for them. But you decide that you're a good person and you're going to hold the door. And then they walk in and say nothing and you go, you're welcome. See, you my, know? my problem with that exact situation is I hate when they rush. I'm like, no, don't rush. This is not, I don't want to make you do work. I don't want to change right. your pace, you know, meaning like I go the other way, but yeah, there's, there's a, uh, if you're, see, that's all about expectations for me. It's like, if you're expecting to be thanked or whatever the thing is, right. Then you don't get it. It's like you already had it and you lost it. Yeah. Versus if you just expected to hold the door. Then, then you hold the door happens. and then you're done with it. Right. So these are all these examples where we're overstepping. So when you're overstepping in the example of the tram and you're telling the person that's sitting down to get up and, and, you know, giving the old woman her seat, you're doing a couple of things that are really rude and arrogant, really. Mm-hmm. Number one, you are ignoring the possibility of an invisible illness. Right. So you are judging the person that's sitting down and you've already decided that they don't deserve to sit in that seat and you have no idea. Meanwhile, as a healthcare practitioner, like this should have dawned on me way earlier and it didn't. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I'm judging that person. Second of all, I'm judging the old woman for not having a voice. I'm saying you're not going to speak up for yourself, but I'll speak up for you because I so often didn't speak up for myself in my own life. I assumed other people were also not speaking up. So I was going to be their mouthpiece. And maybe that old woman, more than getting a seat, she wants to not have an issue with a discussion. Like, well, and you know what happened so many times they would just say to me, oh, I'm just going one stop. I don't need to sit down. Meanwhile, these are women that have been probably riding the same tram line for 80 years. And I'm going to come on and like help them do it. Get over yourself, Katie. Like, who the hell are you? Well, it can be tough because when you feel like you have that moral high ground, you can do things that push those boundaries you're talking about. Exactly. Um, So so you have resentment towards this person sitting down, right? Yeah because they're doing the wrong thing. So you overstep your own boundary to correct it. But if you notice that that's happening, you can say, whoa, 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 that's not, like, this is not my not, that is not my job. Also just, you can see how it plays out first a little bit. And then yeah. and then if you need to get involved, right. you're morally high grounded once she's begging for a seat or whatever, you know? Yeah, exactly. A lot of times we rush. We rush. Yeah. And it's tough too, because you don't know what people's boundaries are. You don't no. know where they are. So you there's gotta, a lot of assumptions and judgments. Play it safer is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Interesting. And so what, how are you tying the two books together or are they totally separate? Well, we talk about, um, I have a mini course on resentment. So we use resentment. I use resentment a lot in my work and okay. resentment is, and the story about taking care of your own knot is part of the book. And resentment is in the book. So we're just going to take that one chapter and make it into a whole book. Gotcha. Cool. I've got so many different book ideas. It's crazy. I want to do failure guides, like the failure like to stand up comedy or whatever. And I'm going to do it. Then I'm cool. going to fail. And it's okay. I'm writing a book. I don't mind if I'm bombing because 
I got to. This is all part of the research. Exactly. I got to trick. That's why I thought, okay, if I put it on my license plate every day, you know, if something bad happens, I can just go, well, that's just part of the thing. It's my life journey. It's important. I can never get myself to follow advice. So I thought if I just, if I have to face it every day, that's a good. I like it. Um, So where can people go and find you? I mean, you've said a bunch of things. Certainly uh, the podcast, uh, is that the best place to, to send people to check out what you're doing? Yeah, I think so. I think the podcast is the best idea of fried the burnout podcast. And from there you can get links and connections to everything that I do. It's left. It's and what's the format of the podcast. The podcast is one week on with a guest. And the second week is a called the hashtag straight from Kate episode where I give like 10 to 15 minutes tips and tricks. This is how you deal with it. If this happens, this is the answer. I see I'm kind of doing the same thing, but I'm doing a separate podcast because I don't want to, for me, even though they're both my own thing, I don't want to have, I don't want to mix. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm saying like, for me, one thing is one thing. And, and yeah, these are not, these are, these are the same thing to me because both of the, the goal of both of these things is to help people heal and people heal through storytelling. That's been known for millennia. Right. So if people can come on and share their story of burning out and how they healed, then that can act as a healing instigator in somebody else's life. And if I can come on and say, listen, this is a problem that comes up that I see in clients all the time, and this is how you can handle it. Then this is another way that people can take information and lean toward healing their burnout. So to me, the, the end goal of both of those things is the same. It's just using a little bit of a different way to get there. And I think having the combination makes both of those things, um, stronger. Yeah. See, I'm bifurcating because one's going to be my normal thing. This is my normal thing. The other one's my weird playground and it's going to (laughs) be the world's first. I imagine I didn't do my research, uh, time traveling podcast not about time travel but where we are time traveling mm. in the podcast so cool there's all sorts of weird things that are going to happen with that but i need to have that be like a whole separate thing yeah. that has no yeah. value to the world <laughs> versus the other one like i want to have a little bit of you know yeah. fun play with the polish kind of thing but um thank you so much for coming on the show i appreciate Thanks it very much I, I did want to ask one more thing the yeah, Oprah yeah. thing. I saw something about Oprah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it was. What What's the story there? What was the quote? How'd you get quoted in it? Because I couldn't, I didn't even look. I was driving here. They answered <laughs> a question that they posted on Instagram and they included my answer in the magazine. Perfect. See, yeah. like, I, I can say I'm featured on Seth Godin's Akimbo podcast because I asked a question and he played it. Yeah. I I well, I didn't it. say featured, right? I said oh, I didn't quoted. Know Quoted, yes. Yes. I wouldn't say featured either, but my point was I don't even know how to use it. I'm not even trying to use stuff. Yeah. I'm just trying Quoted. to make episodes, but at some point I'm going to start trying to figure out how to promote things as well. Yeah. Well, you, you were quoted because yeah, you were. Exactly. Um, and I did that, that whole podcast came out of that whole thing. Cool. Um, so I'm just looking forward to all sorts of things and I'm, uh, I'm really excited for everything you're doing. I'm going to definitely check Thank out you. the podcast cause I didn't cool. get a chance to, uh, I drove literally like five or six hours and then I showed up late to this, uh, this podcast <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. But, um, but I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story Thanks. and, uh, I'll make sure to, to let you know once, once it's out in the world and you can share it with, uh, with your folks. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Yes. Thanks for joining me on the failure guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody and don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it till next time.